podcast, cutting edge conversations with the quant community. Hello, everybody. Mauro Cesar here speaking from our studio in London. Here with me is Nasneen Sharif. Hi, Nasneen. Hi, everyone. It's good to be both back to record this Quantcast. Uh, yeah. As usual for Risk Quantcast, uh, our podcast in Quant Finance, obviously, we have a guest who is an author of uh, one of the papers that uh, appear in the Catinet section of Risk. Uh, today, we welcome Thomas Ruse. Hello, Thomas. Hello. Hi, everybody. Thanks for having me on. So Thomas is here because he's the author of, um, of a paper that appears in Risk May uh, on the pricing of European swaptions. And uh, the title of this paper is Discrete Time Stochastic Volatility. Uh, now, Thomas, I just want to uh, introduce you very briefly to our audience um, in case for those who do not know you. Uh, Thomas is an independent consultant specialized in derivatives prices uh, modeling. Uh, he used to work as a, a senior uh, quantity analyst and uh, position as a managing director uh, for Credit Suisse and Barclays, specializing in particular on modeling interest rate derivatives and uh, emerging markets. Um, actually, on this, on this very point, uh, Thomas, could you tell us a little more about what you were working on exactly on the emerging market side, for example, was it equity uh, or uh, fixed income products? And what are you working on now, primarily? Sure. So on the emerging market side, it's really mostly um, interest rate modeling and interest rate credit hybrids. Right? There's often a credit component in these emerging market uh, structures, um, simply because they might be tied to, to emerging market uh, equity names um, or um, be collateralized with uh, emerging market bonds. Um, so that's, that's quite unique in terms of asset classes. Um, those kind of structures, we really mostly see them in emerging markets. But, um, in terms of uh, what I'm working on now, um, I mean, the rate space figures prominently, um, as you might imagine, um, but it really varies. Right? So, uh, for example, last year I worked uh, with a client on their regulatory credit risk system. Right? So it, it really just is whatever the client requires. Um, and often they just need an experienced pair of hands um, for a specific project. Okay, yeah, so what, what kind of uh, regulations do you work on, do you help clients with? Yeah, so, I mean, regulatory work is not, the, is not my bread and butter, right? I'm, a, I'm sort of a, a traditional front office uh, derivatives quant, um, actually started my career in, in FX and equity modeling, um, and then moved to rates after about uh, two years. Um, and, uh, and I've really been in the front office my, my whole career, but nowadays, Obviously, the regulatory space is becoming more and more important, um, and so clients have have requirements there, and and the skills are obviously transferable. Um, so I wouldn't necessarily work on, um, you know, uh, reading the regulations or implementing the regulations in detail, but more on the technical modeling aspects of implementing the regulations. Okay. Um, so since you work on rates, and you know, that's a. Uh, um, an area that's going through quite a bit of an upheaval right now with benchmark reform and things like that. You know, what uh, what kind of uh, concerns do you see in in terms of you know um, having the right pricing methodologies? Well, so in terms of the benchmark reforms, it, it really means um, one has additional uh, you know work to do as a quant. Right, one needs to implement uh, the new uh, the new conventions and so on. And one also has to deal with additional bases that arrive from the new indices versus the old indices. Um, but overall, 
I think it's a good thing that, that people are looking at benchmarks which actually have more liquid markets and are more readily traded and observable, right? It doesn't make a lot of sense to have a have a huge derivative market based on benchmarks um, that are quite thinly traded, if at all. So uh, you will be publishing um, a new paper with us um, in risk uh, called Discrete Time Stochastic Volatility. Um, so, you know, why is that work important? Why did you start working um, on on the issue that you're, you know, trying to solve in that in that paper? Could you give our listeners a bit more color on that? Sure. So I actually started working on DTSV because I was looking for a simple model to price forward-starting options, um, which are options whose strike sets a a date in the future. And I was looking for a model that captures the full dynamics of the forward rate and the stochastic volatility, um, including the correlation, um, while avoiding Monte Carlo or PDE solutions um, for performance reasons. And so I came up with this idea to define a model at discrete times T1 and T2 corresponding to the strike set date and the payout date, and then trying to integrate over the joint distribution. And as I was working on this, it occurred to me that the approach could also be used to solve a a simpler and more fundamental problem, um, namely how to efficiently generate arbitrage-free implied volatility smiles um, for a single expiry. Okay, that's really interesting. Um, since you you work as a consultant, Ave, you, you have worked at various banks and institutions. I suppose you have come across uh, different pricing methodologies. Um, how do they typically fix the arbitrage problem for swaption prices, and what kind of models do they do they use to price them? Yeah. So from what I've seen, which is hardly a, a comprehensive uh, survey of the industry, um, most places um, use some kind of saber variant, um, usually with proprietary adjustments. Uh, to mitigate the arbitrage, right? um, and there are quite a quite a variety of approaches there, right? So, for example, um, some people might patch on um, a, a different low wing tail um, from a different distribution, right? Or people modify the local volatility term of the of the Saber model away from the CV form um, for small forwards, for example, right? um, and o- other people just try to make ad hoc adjustments to the implied volatility formula itself. Um, and quite a few of these methods mitigate the the arbitrage rather than removing it completely, right? And and people typically just live with whatever is left over. Right? Um, some more sophisticated um, houses uh, use more complex solutions right, that are guaranteed to be arbitrage free. Um, for example, the approach of Andreasen and Hugo, right, which was uh, published in Risk, of course. So. Um Compared to, I mean, so it seems like there's, you know, quite a bit of um, approximations and ad hoc um, uh, work um, in this space. So uh, what is the main advantage of your paper over, you know, existing methods, even the best existing methods? So I think the the strength of the approach, of the DTSV approach, is really its uh, simplicity, um, both conceptually um, and in terms of the implementation, right? Uh, the parameters of the model um, have a very intuitive impact on the smile, um, and the model is fast, requiring only a one-dimensional integral um, without any special function evaluations um, inside the integrand. And so, and in addition, you you get some nice features like you get the control over the wings of the distribution, right? And um, uh, and you have uh, the 
nice feature that CMS prices are also available as one-dimensional integrals, um, at least for simple forms of the annuity mapping function. Uh, so that, that's a nice feature because generally if the European option prices are one-dimensional integrals, then the CMS prices would be two-dimensional integrals. And so I think it's really the combination of features um, which makes DTSV um, an interesting option. Right? And the fact that it's easy to implement also makes it useful um, as a potential backup model or, or alternative model that gives a trader or risk manager an alternative view um, from their usual skew parameterization, right? or even as a challenger model for model validation purposes. So um, finding an, uh, an arbitrage-free framework is of, obviously of fundamental importance, uh, but uh, how significant is uh, the arbitrage at the wings uh, for, for options? And could you give us some number to give us an idea? Yeah, so one of the main problems with this, with this arbitrage right, is that it's quite difficult um, to quantify it. Right? So, th so the first thing is that it's not possible, generally, to check analytically if the distribution has any arbitrage for a given set of parameters. Right? So if you imagine you calibrate your, your parameters to the liquid strikes around the money, right, then given a set of parameters, it's, you can't analytically check whether there's arbitrage or where that arbitrage is located in strike space. Um, so, for example, there could be a narrow negative spike in the density somewhere in the low wing, right? And, and you'd have to try to check for that numerically, and you could just miss it because you would do it on, a, on some kind of discretized strike grid. Right? Um, now, even in the affected region, the impact on prices would generally be quite small, right? But the problem is it depends critically on what's being priced, right? So the canonical example is a butterfly spread, right, which is a positive payout. Right, which could have a large negative value right, in the affected region. Right? Now, this would be obvious to spot, right, but you could have a butterfly-like feature as part of a more complex structure, right? and then it would be much more difficult to identify that this is adding a negative component to the price that you don't want. Right? Um, and the other aspect is you have to think about stress scenarios. Right? So even if you've convinced yourself that the arbitrage is benign under current market conditions, right? Um, what happens when you run regulatory or internal stress scenarios, right? Where, for example, you double the volatility of volatility parameter, right? Then things could be much worse, right? And it's pretty tedious to have to check the distribution for arbitrage, right, for every scenario that you run. Right? Um, so the main problem with the arbitrage is not that it's always financially significant, but rather that it creates this nagging doubt in the back of your mind. Right? And, uh, and the volatility smile is, is so fundamental and it serves as an input to so many other models right, that you just want it to be rock solid and you don't want to worry about it. So you mentioned in your paper uh, the parametrization that you've used in your model is uh, quite similar to the Heston model, but then you apply some uh, modifi modifications to capture the volatility dynamics uh, better at the wings. Um, how exactly do you do this? So the, the, the nice thing about the DTSV approach is that the specification of the volatility is very flexible. Right? So in the end, one does a numerical integral over that density. And so because it's numerical, there are really no constraints about what that form can look like. Um, and that, that gives quite a bit of, uh, that gives quite a bit of, of flexibility. And especially it gives one the ability to control what the high wing looks like. And 
in the HEST model, that's not possible because you, you need to have a very specific form of the, of the stochastic volatility process in order to have the analytic properties that, that makes HESTN so popular, that, that gives you the fact that you can price options using a one-dimensional integral. But that completely fixes what the volatility structure looks like and completely fixes the high wing. The, the advantage of being able to, to control the high wing separately is very important for interest rate modeling. Um, where we have to price constant maturity swap products, right? CMS products for sure. Right, so these, theoretically, these products can be priced by replication in terms of ordinary payer and receiver swap chains. Right? So once you've calibrated your smile to the liquid swap chain quotes around the money, right, then in principle the CMS prices are fixed. Right? Yeah. The problem is that the, that the payoffs of these CMS products, they grow like the square of the swap rate for large rates as opposed to standard European payouts, right, which, which grow linear in the rate. Right? Yeah. And this quadratic dependence for high rates makes them very sensitive um, to the high wings of the volatility smile, right, where there really are no liquid quotes that you can calibrate to. And so you're completely at the mercy of your extrapolation. Right? And the prices generated by your smile model may be well off market for CMS products. Yeah. And having the extra parameters to control that high wing allows you to, to calibrate and control the CMS premium independent of the swaption values around the money, right? which is very important. On the computational efficiency, which is obviously an aspect that is um, uh, scrutinized very carefully about models, uh, how does your model compare uh, with the, the classic Sabre model in terms of computational efficiency? So DTSV requires a one-dimensional numerical integral per option price. Um, so it's definitely slower than the Sabre expansions, which are completely analytic. Right? Um, so performance-wise, um, GTSV is comparable to the more sophisticated um, Sabre approaches, for example, of, of Antonov um, et al., um, which were also uh, published in RISC, right? which also require one-dimensional integrals. Right? Um, and I guess I would say that, that given the speed of modern computers, um, one-dimensional integrals are so fast, um, especially if the integrand itself is simple, um, that that really doesn't create a performance bottleneck, right? even for something as performance critical as swaption pricing. Okay. Um, so, is, I mean, is the main advantage then that, you know, this, this provides arbitrage-free prices? As simple as that. <laughs> yeah, it's as simple yeah. as that, right? It's really, it's really the combination of arbitrage-free prices, um, simple implementation, intuitive parameters, um, and control over the wings. Right? It's, that, it's that combination of features um, which makes it useful. Okay, so what range of products can your model be applied to? So the model creates um, really a joint distribution of the, of the volatility and the, and the underlying forward rate. Um, and when, if one then integrates over the volatility, one just gets the distribution of the forward rate. So any payout that is a function of the forward rate can be priced, right? which includes European swaptions, but also, as we discussed, CMS products or things like cash settle swaptions. Right? Um, and the approach can also be extended um, to price forward starting options, right? as described in the article. Excellent. Well. Thank you, Thomas. Thank you very much. I'm looking forward to seeing this uh, paper printed in RISC. And uh, well, thank you for being with us. Well, thank you for having me. And thank you, everyone, for listening.
Bye, everyone. Goodbye.